Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hey guys, got a big question for you today, Redemption. The big question for today is what is, what is community? Right? I mean, community, right? Like we say that word all the time. Right, community. It's like a buzzword. Marketers advertise towards it. We buy into it. We want it. We long for it. But what is community? I mean, there is a community for pretty much anything that you are into, right? I mean, we got community colleges. Uh, I went to a school called Community. There's a television show, Community. There's even a community coffee, okay? So there's community for anything that you are into. Uh, so what is community? You know, because we long for it, we want it, we feel the insatiate need for it, but there has to be something more to community than typically what we buy into. So what is it? Great question, and I'm glad that you asked. <laughs> Webster's Dictionary defines community as this. A group of people who live in the same place or share a common interest. So that's how we typically define community, by a couple of things. First is by proximity. And the next is by affinity. So that means that we are into the same things. We listen to the same bands. We um, go to the same concerts. We dress in the same way. We're interested into this same thing. So we gather along with our affinities. The next is by proximity. Proximity means that we live in the same places. So we go to the same schools, we work in the same office, we live in the same neighborhood. So we gather ourselves around these issues of affinity and of proximity. And it sounds good in theory, however it breaks down statistically. Let's take a look at this. Recently there was a a study done called The End of Neighbors. And in this study, what it shows is that half of all Americans don't even know the name of their neighbors. That's, that's kind of scary, right? Think about who you're living next to. And we don't even know their names, right? All we know about our neighbors is that's loud guy, uh, that's creepy guy, that's helicopter mom, that's smoke a lot of weed guy, and that's stay away from that guy, guy. Right? We all know that guy. And so we don't even know the names of the people that we are living next door to. In addition to that, there is also a study called Bowling Alone, which shows that the average American only has two friends. That means that there are seven billion people in this world, and only two of them like you. <laughs> 20 years ago, this study showed that we had three. So I don't know what happened to that other guy, or where he went, or what he's up to, but may the Lord bless him and keep him. In the future, it shows that it could possibly just be you all by yourself, sitting there by yourself with your 300 Facebook friends in your pocket on your phone, and then just going through the infinite scroll of Facebook. Scroll, scroll, oh look, they got a puppy. Scroll, scroll, oh, there's another picture of their kids. Scroll, scroll, I'm so happy to be in community. And so we've made it to where we don't even have to get to know the person that we are in community with, nor spend time with the people that we say we are in community with. So there has to be something more than, than just that we are just sharing the same space. And so, you know, this issue of community is this, that, that we think that we're connected to people, but really we're just connected because we share an interest or an area. So if you change jobs, change friends. If you change schools, 
change communities. If you change interests, you've got to find a whole new group of people. See, it's not that we were in community. We were just in proximity or affinity. It's not that we had real connection. It's just we breathed the same air. It's that we had the same interests or we were in the same areas. So there has to be something deeper. There has to be something more real. There has to be something that we are longing for that we need to have met. And so why is this insatiate longing for community within ourselves? So in order to understand this, in the same way that we did last week, I have to bring you all the way back to the very beginning, before time even began. It's the same as the subject of worship, because we were created in the very image of God. And so before the garden, before time even began, there is just God. God existed perfectly eternal and within himself satisfied. And so as God existed, there is in this idea of what is known as the doctrine of the Trinity. And so some people would say that God created us because he was lonely. It's not true. Because within the very nature and essence of God is community. That we have God the Father, we have God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so within the nature and essence of God is community. There's mutual respect, adoration, submission, glory, and worship. Perfectly eternal within himself. And so when God did make man, he made so, and Genesis chapter 3 tells us this. He says, let us make man in our image. So there we see the doctrine of the Trinity. And when he made us, he made us with the very image of God. And so when he made all of creation, he said, it is good. And then he looked at man and said, it is not good. It's not good for what? For man to be alone. Alone. So it's not good for us to be alone. So what he did is he made woman to come alongside, to be a helpmate, to be, uh, to be in community with man and with God. And from that day forward, God has always operated in his people in community. And so from the very beginning, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they were a family community. And in this community, there is the explicit command to go and to multiply. So we start off as a family community. From there, God works through his people, uh, the nation of Israel, as a national community. Jesus even put together a wandering band of disciples as a wandering community. And then on the day of Pentecost, when the church began, we see that the Holy Spirit fell and we formed what is now called the New Covenant Community. This is what we know as the church. And so God has always operated and worked through his people in this idea of community. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We'll be hanging out in verse 38. And I want to show you what this new covenant community means. I want to show you five marks of what an authentic community will look like. And this is how God has arranged all of us to come together, to be called together for his glory and for his purposes. And so this is super important for us as a church. One of the reasons why we're doing this series, Called Together, is because we have the opportunity to lay the foundations for what will be lives changed for years to come. And so as we are a young church, six months old, we have this, this moment to share with one another to see what it is that God has best for us. So we're laying the foundations, and one of those foundations is that of community. So if you've got your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We'll read through this, and then I'll unpack it for us in just a moment. Verse 38. And Peter said to them, let's pause right there. Who's Peter? Right, ever been to Sunday school? Yeah. 
Peter's one of Jesus' disciples, right? He's the guy who tripped and fell while walking on water. Peter's the guy who denied Christ three times before the crucifixion. Peter's the guy whom, with most of his time spent following Jesus, kept jacking up. Okay? And so that's Peter. And so on the day of Pentecost, which is a huge festival um, for the Jewish people, Jewish people from all over the world would come to, to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. And so all the people are gathered together. All of the nation has come together to celebrate. And Peter and the apostles and the disciples are gathered together that morning in the upper room. So there at this time, it's about 20 of them. And they're sitting there, they're praying. So Jesus had died. Jesus had resurrected. Jesus had ascended. And as Jesus ascended up into heaven, he said, you will be my witnesses and I will give you power. So he promises the power. And then he says, stay in Jerusalem and pray and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there they are, 120 of them gathered together in that room, praying that morning and something happens. On that morning, the power of the Holy Spirit dropped into the room and it says that there was tongues of fire that appeared above their heads. And as they were praying and worshiping, people from all around, they begin to hear the, that Jesus loves them, that Jesus died for them, and the call to come into community with Jesus in their own native languages. As they began to speak in tongues, everyone around them began to hear it in their own native languages language. So, you know, if somebody was from um, Canada, they would hear this as, Jesus loves you, eh? If somebody, if, if somebody's from Mexico, they hear it in their own native language. It's not just their language, but also in their dialect. So for us in Texas, it's Jesus loves you, y'all. And that's how it worked. And so they hear it and they say, uh, they say, these people are drunk, you know, having breakfast beers. And Peter's like, no, wait, we're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. But this this is the prophecy declared in the Old Testament as a reversal of what happened in Genesis, a reversal of the Tower of Babel. And so God calls them together and they hear it and then people begin to respond. And so this is what's so amazing is that on the day of Pentecost, the first day of the church, Jesus chose Peter. Jesus chose Peter to stand up and preach. Let this be a reminder for you that Jesus loves jacked up people. That Jesus loves us and he doesn't just love us, he changes us. And in this new nature, we have a new desire to serve and to be a part of this new community. And so Jesus chooses Peter to stand up and preach. And this is what Peter says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is what it means for us to be a Christian, is that we have been forgiven, that we have repented of our sins, that Jesus has forgiven us, and then that our sins are washed clean through the waters of baptism, and then we're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what it means for you to be a Christian. He goes on in 39 to say, for the promise is for you and for your children. This means that Jesus doesn't just change his lives, but he also changes legacies. Jesus changes entire families. Recently, there was a young lady who came and she met Jesus and she went home and then she told her parents and dragged her parents here. Normally, it's the other way around, parents dragging their kids. But this young gal, she grabbed her parents and she dragged her parents and then her parents met Jesus. And then the parents brought the grandchildren and now the entire family is worshiping Jesus together. It's beautiful. It's beautiful that Jesus doesn't just change lives, but he also changes legacies. 
And it says, For all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received the word that day were baptized and were added about 3,000 souls. People ask, um, Why do you count people? It's because people count. Right? So there was a guy in the back with a clicker. 2,998, 2,999, 3,000. 3,000. So why, why do we count people? Because people count. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. This is the Christian word for community. It's more than just friendship. It's about having a common purpose, being called together for a common reason. And when it says here, they, this means the new believers. This is the new community. This is the new church. That those 3,000 people, they got connected. They got plugged in. They got involved. They got devoted. It's a strong word, devoted. So they got connected into the community and they were practicing through the apostles' teaching by listening to the word of God proclaimed and to the fellowship by getting connected into the community. To the breaking of bread and prayers, an awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And just so you know, here at Redemption, we still believe in miracles. And all who believed were together, sharing their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, they were breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. One of the things that I loved so much about the early church is that they ate a lot. In this text, there's three references to food. Like, that's my kind of church, amen? No? Just me? Okay, all right, never mind. Last verse, praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. That's it. That's the story. That's the story of the New Testament church. That's the story of how God works through his people. That's the story that God has called all of us into. That's how the church began. And here we are, 2,000 years later, worshiping, serving, loving, following Jesus together, downtown Beaumont, in Crockett Street, in community. It's amazing what Jesus has, has done. He said he'd build his church. And here we are, 2,000 years later that God is faithful to his promises. And so when we look at this, what I want you to know today is that God still works in the same way that he did for the first church. That God still works for us in the same way that he called together that first community. That the Holy Spirit, what he did then, he wants to do now. Same God, same mission. And so today, I, I would challenge us to, to respond to this message and to look at the scriptures and then to compare our lives to see, are we adding up? Are we living in the life that God has called us together to live? And so today I want to offer you a new definition of community. And this is a biblical definition, so I didn't make it up. I want to offer you a new definition of community. It's no longer affinity and proximity, but this is what God has best for us as a community. It's this. It's God's people called together for God's purposes. That's the community. That it's God's people, all of us, called together for God's purpose. That's God's people called together for God's purpose. And this is what makes the church so powerful. This is what makes the church so beautiful. Because if you've been chosen by God, then you've been forgiven by God, then he has called you into community together. 
that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins, that Jesus has raised us to life in him, and that Jesus has a purpose and a plan for all of us. And he says that we accomplish this best when we serve one another, when we love one another, and when we gather together as this community. That Jesus brings us to our family. That this means that God is our father, that Jesus becomes our big brother, and then by the Holy Spirit, we become brothers and sisters with each other in this room. That Jesus loves us and he changes us. And that's what's so beautiful about the church. And so I want you to know that a community is a people, okay? It's, it's a people. That it's all of us. A community is a people. It's not a certain place. So that means it's not just like a building. It's not a church building. It's not a temple. It's not a place that we go. It's not an event. It's not a certain place. But in addition to that, community is also not a specific program. So it doesn't mean that we read these books, we follow these principles, we do these same forms of liturgy. It's not about the program. In addition to that, community is also not about a singular person. So this means that you can't be in community by yourself. So some, you, you can be a Christian as an individual, but you can't be in community by yourself. So some people, I hear this all the time, well, I, I don't really, you know, need the church. I don't need to be a part of community because um, I listen to some podcasts. I sing praise songs in my car and I go to a couple of these events throughout the month. So I don't really need to be in community. I don't really need the local church. But community is not a singular person. That's not how it works. So God has called us into this purpose, into this reason to get connected and takes a people so what does this new covenant community look like? Well, let's go back to the scriptures and I wanna give you five marks for what a new covenant community looks like. Five marks for who we desire to be as a church. And so we'll unpack this here as we walk through it. So the first mark of the new covenant community or of an authentic Christian community is Christ-centered. Verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, every one of whom the Lord calls to himself. So first point is Christ-centered. Here's what I want you to know. Can I, can you, come to redemption and not be a Christian? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you do not follow Jesus, I can't think of a better place for you to be. We love you. If that's you, if you're a skeptic, if you're on the fence with Christianity, hey, welcome to redemption. We love you. I can't think of a better place for you to be. Can you serve on the serve team and not be a Christian? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we would love to get you connected. Can you join a group and an MC? Heck yeah. Like, absolutely, jump in. We'd love to have you. Come over to my house, eat dinner. It's gonna be awesome, right? We would love to have you be a part of what Jesus is doing. So at Redemption, this is a place to where you can belong before you believe. We would love to have you come and be a part of everything that God has to offer in this community. So with that being said, there are certain things that are exclusive to us as Christians. So can you be baptized? No, that's just for Christians. We would love to baptize you, absolutely. Can you take communion? No, that's exclusively reserved for Christians. We would love for you to be able to take communion with us, but it's reserved for followers of Jesus. Can you become a member? No, 
that's exclusively reserved for followers of Jesus, okay? A member is not like a country club. A member is like a family. A member is like a body. So we have members to our bodies. We have members to our families. Can you be in leadership? No. That's exclusively reserved for Christians, okay? So here at Redemption, everyone is welcome. Everybody is invited. Everybody can come. And we love you, but we want you to be a part of what Jesus is doing here. But we draw a hard line here, is that Jesus Christ is the only way for you to be saved. That Jesus Christ is the only way to have redemption and salvation. Here at Redemption, we are your standard Orthodox Christian church. There's nothing fancy or weird about us. We believe in the Trinity. We believe in the Bible. We believe that Jesus is the only way. And, and so when it comes to this line, it's a line that we cross from death to life. It's a line that we cross from into community with Jesus. So at Redemption, we are a Christ-centered community. Everything that we do centers around the person and work of Jesus. Now, we are welcoming. We want you to come. Why are we so welcoming? Because Jesus first welcomed us. Why are we so invitational? Because Jesus has given us the great invitation why are we so loving? Why are we so accommodating? Because Jesus first loved us, that he welcomed us into his family when we did not belong, that he chose us, he adopted us, he has made us into this new community. So we would love for you to come and be a part of that. And so we're welcoming because Jesus first welcomed us. And so in this, just like Peter stood up and he said, he preached for us to repent and so friends, if you're not following Jesus, I'm not even gonna wait to my bottom line. I'm just saying today, repent. Repent, give your life to Jesus. Jump in, join this community. Be a part of everything that God has to offer you. Repent. See, I'm not even gonna wait. You know it's coming. You're at church, right? We're gonna give you that offer. We're gonna give you that opportunity, especially here at Redemption, because we're a Jesus preaching church, right? I'm like a band with one song. It's just Jesus. That's all I play all the time. Every week you come here, hey, what you preaching on? Jesus. And so we would love for you to come and to, to listen to this message and have this opportunity to repent. See, we have to preach repentance, okay? Repentance is a good thing, all right? So, so the, all the Old Testament prophets, their message, repent. John the Baptist, his message, repent. Jesus' first sermon was repent. And here on Pentecost, Peter stands up. First words of his sermon are repent, See, repentance is a good thing. Repentance, however, is often met with resistance. People don't like being told they're wrong. People don't like being told to change. People don't like being told that this is not the way you're supposed to live. There's something better for you. There's something greater for you. Turn and follow Jesus. Repentance is met with resistance. And because I know some of you guys are thinking, uh, where's he going with this? This is getting kind of tough. Let me explain to you for just a sec, really briefly, why repentance is needed and necessary. And so repentance is basically this. Repentance is all of your life is your face to sin, your back to Jesus. That's, that's, that's how we're living our lives. We are living our lives with our face towards sin and our back to Jesus. Repentance is simply this. It's an about face. So now your face is to Jesus as friend and your back is to sin as foe. That's simple, that's, that's, that's repentance, very briefly. That's simple, that's, it's, your, it's your face to sin, face to Jesus. The Puritans would call this living quorum Deo. So quorum Deo means 
living in the face of God. And so all of the Christian life is to be lived in the face of God, looking towards the face of Jesus. And so all of our lives, Christians and those who become Christians today, all of your life is to be lived as a life of repentance. And we wake up in the morning, we submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus. We repent of our sins. We make confessions to one another. And then we follow Jesus for everything he has for us. That it's not just raise your hand, say a prayer, walk down the aisle and do whatever you want. That living in the life of Jesus is living before the face of God all of our lives. And so this is what it means for us to be a Christ-centered community. And we would love for you to step up, to, to join us and to be a part of everything that God has for you. So my question for you is this. Are you in a Christ-centered community? Maybe you're not a Christian today and you're saying, I need to repent and turn from my ways. I need to follow Jesus. I would say, awesome. No better day than right now. We would love for you to join us. Get baptized, join a group. Maybe you are a Christian. You're saying, I'm kind of missing the mark a little bit. That's okay. We've got plenty of opportunities for you to jump in. So you got something that you're struggling with, sin, temptation, weakness, something that is surrounding you. You need to surround yourself with people who are on the same journey of life with you. Number two, growing community. So this is in verse 40 through 41. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So the crowd hears this. They hear that Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and all of this is for the forgiveness of sins. And as Peter preached, people got saved. Here it says that 3,000 people were added to the church. 3,000 people. Could you imagine if 3,000 people showed up here next week? What would that look like? What would that look like? I'm sure the parking was a mess. I'm sure the line for kids check-in wrapped around the building, okay? I'm sure that their MCs were disorganized. I'm sure there wasn't enough coffee or or, or serve team people to greet everyone who walked in the door. All right, 3,000 people walked in. I'm just saying, that's the kind of problem we want to have, right? And and so the church that day grew from 120 to 3,120 in a day. When I was a young church planner, I was about 25 years old. I was serving in our first church in Houston. And I went to one of those conferences where they invite all the big name preachers and the mega churches and all the people, like, right, the celebrity pastors. And so as I was there, one of my favorite preachers was there speaking. His name's Matt Chandler. He's a solid Bible teacher. He's an excellent communicator, has a very growing church. So he was up there and it's like, you know what? This is the only opportunity that I'm going to get to be able to meet this guy. So after he was done talking, I had the opportunity to meet him. So I, I walked up to him and said, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to ask the question. I'm just going to ask him. So I find him and I go up to him and say, um, hey, Matt, um, my name is Byron. Um, I'm a young church planter. Uh, our church is about a month old. Is there anything that you would, any recommendations, any suggestions, any advice that you would give me to see our church grow? And I was thinking that he was going to say, you know what? Um, hey, what systems do you have in place? Uh, what's your assimilations? Do you have a gift for first-time guests? Like, what are you doing with kids? Okay, like that's what I was expecting him to say. He didn't say any of that. And he looked at me, and this guy's like 6'5", so he's just kind of got that look that just stares right into your soul. He, he, he looks at me, and he says, very plainly, he says this, preach the gospel, and then walked away. Are you serious? What a jerk. Like, that's it? That's all you have for me? Just preach the gospel and then walked away. But then I thought about it. And I was like, that's single-handedly the best advice that I've ever been gotten, been given. And from that moment forward, 
I've just followed that model of ministry. Preach the gospel. It's crazy. When you preach Jesus, people meet Jesus. Right? When you preach Jesus, people meet Jesus. How many of you guys, just raise your hand. How many of you have someone that you know, could be a family member, brother, sister, husband, wife, could be a coworker, neighbor, friend. How many of you know one person that does not know or follow Jesus? Then we still got work to do. Then we still got work to do. Imagine if every hand raised was a soul in the seat next to you. Then we still have work to do as a church that we, we need to see people come to know the saving faith of Jesus Christ. As a church, we have room to grow. Amen? We have room to grow. We're only six months old. The story of redemption has yet to be written. That we get to be a part of the foundation of what God is doing here. We have room to grow. So my question for you is this. Do you want to see the church grow? Do you want to see the church grow? Absolutely. We want to see the church grow. Because that hand that you raised has a name. And that name matters to God. That every name has a story. And here at Redemption, we believe in telling the stories of the people who meet Jesus and their lives were changed forever. Me personally, I would gladly bust every budget and break every system so you, your friend, your neighbor, your coworker can come here and hear the gospel preached. I will gladly break every system of this church to see one soul meet Jesus Christ. So do we want to see the church grow? Absolutely, absolutely. So I can make you this promise as your pastor on behalf of redemption is that you can invite anyone, no matter who they are, no matter what they have done, socioeconomic background, their tax bracket, whatever it is, you can invite anybody to come and gather here and we will love them, we will welcome them, we will serve them and they can hear the gospel preached and they will have an opportunity to respond every single week. I can promise you that as your pastor. So preach the gospel, grow the church. Number three, a worshiping community. That's what it says here. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So, worshiping community. A healthy community is a worshiping community. In this section, we see three things. Number one is that they taught the word. Second, communion. Three is that of miracles. If you're here at Redemption and this is your first time or you're kind of new, I want you to know, like, we preach in a way that is called expositional preaching. That's typically the way that I do it. So that means that we preach through books of the Bible. Um, and so throughout the course of this church, we've preached through Philippians and we've done Habakkuk. Right now we're in this series, but next we're going to do Ephesians and 2 Corinthians briefly. At the beginning of next year, we're going to do Titus, and then we're going to do Esther, and got a couple others coming down the pipe. And so here at Redemption, we, we teach through books of the Bible or major sections at a time. And so we take little pauses to do series like this, but my bread and butter as a preacher is to be able to just kind of walk through books of the Bible. So it says here that they gather together in large meetings, and they listen to the preaching of the Word. So at Redemption, do we preach the Bible? Yes, yes, I'm a Bible guy. We preach the Bible. Second is that they receive communion. This is the, 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 the bread broken as a symbol of Jesus' body being broken. This is the cup filled with blood, uh, filled with wine to symbolize the blood of Jesus. So here at Redemption, do we receive communion? Yes, every single week we take communion because every week we need to be reminded of the person and work of Jesus. And so all of our 
gathering time together is based out of an Acts 2 model. And that we come together, we gather, we worship, we sing, and then we have an opportunity to respond to the gospel being preached by taking communion and by worshiping. And as they followed this, something amazing happened. It says here that signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. So I want you to know here at Redemption, we still believe in miracles. We still believe in the working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the people. So do we see miracles happen here at Redemption? Yes. Yes. We see miracles happen here. Um, One story particularly, there was a lady who was suffering from excruciating pain from her cancer treatments. She came forward. She took communion. Pain gone. Right? And so do we see this happen here at Redemption? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So as we preach the word, as people give their lives to Jesus, as we give you an opportunity to respond, amazing things happen in our community. Now, we're not a church that chases signs, okay? The Bible says that a wicked generation seeks a sign. We're not a church that chases signs, okay? We're a church that chases Jesus, and as we follow Jesus, signs and wonders follow us. And so maybe today you have something that you're walking through. You have a hurt or a physical need or a spiritual need or an emotional need that you need healing for. I would tell you, I would, I would, I would say, don't grieve the Holy Spirit and just leave. Stay and worship and pray and possibly come forward and see if possibly Jesus has a miracle for you. And so my question for you as a church is, Will we be devoted to being a worshiping community? The first word in this text says that they devoted themselves. Will we be devoted together to be a worshiping community? See, we all worship something or someone. Everyone worships. So what is it that we worship? We worship Jesus. So are you all in? Are you committed? Are you devoted? Do you want to see everything that God has possible for us as a church? Are we committed to being a worshiping community? Number, five, number four says this, a generous community. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. I want to pause right there for just a sec. Because some of you guys, you're going to join a missional community or you're going to get, get one in, in one today and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing, this is amazing, this is going to be awesome, these are my best friends ever, it's going to be great, it's going to be awesome, and I'm going to have so much fun, everything's going to be perfect. And then you get there and they're not. And you're like, no, what happens? It says here in the Bible, we're supposed to have everything in common. I don't have anything in common with these people. Oh my gosh, I gotta leave. I gotta find another group. <laughs> Chill out, okay? That's not what this means. This doesn't mean that they had everything in common as if that they liked the same bands or their kids were in the same grade. That's not what this means. What this means that they had everything in common is that they gathered under the lordship of Jesus And they had a common purpose. See, remember, affinity and uh, proximity, that's our old way of thinking. That Jesus has given us a new definition of community. And so under that new definition of community, this is what it looks like. It says says that, um, that, that Jesus loves you, Jesus forgives you, Jesus loves me, Jesus forgives me. And because of Jesus, we become a family. And so what this means is that you're going to go into a community group. You're going to go into a missional community and you're going to get there and you're going to realize these people drive me crazy and they're thinking the same thing about you, okay? And so you're perfect for one another. You're going to grow through holy frustration, okay? And and, and so maybe you're thinking, "Eh, nobody in my group bothers me. (laughs) It's because you're the guy. You're the guy bothering everybody else, Okay? And so we need one another because, guys, here's, here's the truth. is You have something that I need, and I have something that you need, and together we can meet the needs of others. 
That's how community works. And so if all we're doing is hanging out with people who look just like us, we will never look like Jesus. And so what we need is we need diversity in our community if we are going to grow into maturity. We need diversity in our community if we're going to grow into maturity. It's good for you to be around people not like you. It's okay. It's good. God's going to use it. He's going to grow you. Cool? All right. Keep going. And all who believed were together, had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to any who had need. That a authentic community is a generous community. This is like a family with two cars who sees a single mom with no car struggling and then gives her their car. This is like a young gal who says, um, I'm going to skip lunch this week instead of eating out at work. I'm going to save the money. I'm going to give it to the church so we can support another missionary. This is like a family whose kids have moved off to college and they have a spare bedroom in their house. And they say, you know what? Um, We have an extra bedroom. You can stay with us until you get on your feet. This is the way that the church ought to be. This is the way that the church should look like. That an authentic community is an audaciously generous community. One of the core values for us here as a church is audacious generosity. That's who we are as a church, is that we are givers. Because we want to be like Jesus. And Jesus was the most generous person ever. I mean, think about this. That God, as he created the world, he gave it to us to steward. He's given us the responsibility to care for the earth. Beautiful. That he is, gives us this planet to, to, to steward. In addition to that, God also gave us his son, right? For God so loved that he gave. So he gave us Jesus, even when we didn't deserve it. What else has God given us? God has given us the Holy Spirit to, to, to empower us. God has given us the church to encourage us. God has given us the Bible to, to lead us, to guide us. And then whenever we die and we stand before him, he's going to give us a crown and he's prepared a place for us and he's going to give us a mansion and he's going to invite us into his family and he's going to give us a feast at the lamb's table. Has God been good to us? Absolutely. Is God generous? Absolutely. And so when we give, we are most like God. When we give, we are mirroring the image and the identity of a generous God. And so when we invite you to give, we're inviting you to be like Jesus. And so here's the deal about generosity, is generosity is God's way to change the world. That God has worked in us, and then he's going to work through us, so that through our giving, the Holy Spirit can work in someone else's life. That when we give, we are partnering with God and bringing redemption and renewal and restoration across the world. And this is what's so amazing about the church. That's so beautiful about the church. There's no other place that operates like this. Could you imagine if the government received a tithe? What if the government decided, you know what? Um, We're not going to take up taxes anymore. Um, But if you call America home, we just ask that you give as you feel led. (laughs) Okay, Uncle Sam. I prayed about it and no. Thanks though. See, this is what's different from a tax and a tithe. See, when the government gets in, does this, it becomes complicated. But when the church does it, it fulfills the great commandment to love God and to love others. 
What's the difference between a tax and a tithe? A tax is you have to do it. And if you don't, then you can do prison ministry from the inside, but you have to give your tax, right? In a church, it's a tithe. That, that you don't have to give it. See, the, see, one is taking. The other is giving. Yeah. One, is, one is saying you have to, and the other is saying you get to. See, the government doesn't depend on the regenerated work of the Holy Spirit in the life of its people, but the church does. And this is, this is what makes the church so beautiful. And I know what you're thinking. Some of you are like... Where's my wallet? Oh my gosh, the pastor's talking about money again, okay? I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about opportunity. I'm talking about your generosity, okay? So if you're the guy who's like, oh, there we go. Don't worry about it. Keep your money. It's okay. We don't want it. If you're not a Christian, we don't want you to give. If you're, if you're, not, if you're not following Jesus, if you're not connected into the community, you don't have to give. Don't feel, ever feel any pressure to give. We don't ask anything from you, but we do ask something for you, that we want for you to experience the joy of generosity. The first church, generous church. And I, I see the seeds of this happening in our faith community already. I see the seeds happening. I mean, recently I heard a story of, uh, of a family who, who, who met a lady in our church who was on some hard times, and out of nowhere, bought our entire month's worth of groceries. I, I, I can't tell you how many, how many people that we've moved from apartment to house and house to apartment. And, and just recently, we did a back to school drive for all the girls at Girls Haven. In, in our missional communities, there was a couple of families who were having a hard time buying back to school supplies. So the missional communities all pitched in and they bought all the back to school stuff for that. Because why? Because they said, we're a family and we take care of one another. It's beautiful, beautiful. Where else can you get a picture of this happening besides the local church? So my question for you is, how is your generosity? Number five, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Something crazy happened, guys. Something crazy happened. As they preached Jesus, as they lived their life, ordinary people doing ordinary things in the everyday stuff of life, something crazy happened. People kept meeting Jesus. People kept getting saved. People kept meeting Jesus. That's because that is the promise that Jesus has made. That 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I will build my church. And here we are, downtown Beaumont, Crockett Street, and you are the proof that God answers his promises, that we are still loving and following and worshiping Jesus, that the gospel is still going forth because it's the same God, it's the same mission. And what the Holy Spirit did then, the Holy Spirit wants to do now. That 2,000 years later, here we are, that kings and kingdoms have collapsed, that businesses have gone bankrupt, that nations have descended, that, that everything has risen and everything has fallen. And here we are still, 2,000 years later, God's people gathered together, called together for God's purposes. I don't know about you, but that gets me fired up. I don't know about you, but I get excited when I think about everything that Jesus has done, that everything that Jesus has best for us as a community. I get passionate. I love you. I love this church. 
I love everything about it and I love everything that it's gonna grow into. So thank you for, for coming and calling this place home. Thank you for giving me the opportunity and the privilege to preach, doing what I love most. And I love seeing every single week people meeting Jesus. One of my favorite times as a church is at our Tinsel. At 9.50 every morning, we got dozens of people who gather right here and we pray every single Sunday. And as we pray, we, we, we pull it all in and we pray every week for one more. We just say, one more. God, would you save one more? God, would you redeem one more? Would you bring one more person into our family? And we pray that same thing every single Sunday. Now, as I read this, I'm thinking 3,000 people, man, that would be awesome, right? But the line at the end right here where it says day by day, that's my prayer. That's my prayer, day by day. Lord, day by day, just one person, day by day. Day by day, how amazing would it be to see 365 salvations and baptisms in a year? Wouldn't that be amazing? Not, not just that we would grow by 365 salvations, not transfer growth from other churches, but real authentic salvations, lives changed by the power of the gospel. How amazing would that be? So when you're praying for your church, pray this, pray day by day. Lord, I know that now's not our time. I know we're not there yet, but Lord, I pray as a church, mark this down day by day that we would see people meeting Jesus. And what we gotta get a picture of this day by day is this, is it takes, it takes all of us. It's not just me preaching on a Sunday. It takes all of us living gospel intention lives, that it's our everyday life. It's not an event on a Sunday, but it's living our life in light of the gospel, to the shine his love around the world. Because you know what? Who knows? This week could be your neighbor's week. This week could be your coworker's week. This week could be your son's week, your grandchildren's week, your boyfriend's week. Why not? He says here day by day. Do, why couldn't it be? And so God has called us to be a missional community in that day by day stuff that we live our lives with gospel intentionality, day by day. So my question for you is this, is today your day? Is today your day? Maybe you're thinking, I've never seen a community like this. The way they love, the way they serve, the way they welcome, the way they worship. I've never seen this before and I want to. And I don't know why. I'll tell you why. It's because you were made for this that you were made in the image of God, that inner longing you need, you feel you have for this community is only found around his people in the presence of his son, Jesus Christ. And so if that's you and you're saying, I, I, I want this, I would echo Peter and say, repent, be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And maybe you're thinking, I'm a Christian or I'm becoming one today and I've missed some of these marks. Don't worry, we got plenty of opportunities for you to get connected. And this is who we are as a church. This is what it is that God has best for us. These are the marks of an authentic Christian community. As the new covenant community, this is what God wants out of your life. Not to just to wake up, go to church on Sunday, and then just grind out the rest of the week. That God has something important for you. He has called us to worship. And now today we see that he has called us to community. And so if you're thinking like, hey, sign me up. Where do I get connected? Glad you asked that one too. I got opportunities for you today. Here we go. On this card, 
If you want to take your next steps into redemption, here's what we can do. On the back of it, it says missional communities, serve team, and then following Jesus, okay? So we would love to get you connected. Say, I want to join a missional community. Sounds great. Check the box. I'll shoot you an email. If you want to be a part of the serve team, check a box. I'll shoot you an email. Now you're thinking, was this all just a big pitch to get me to serve? Kind of, but it's good. It's good. Because guys, the truth is, is we're a young church. We're a young church. Six months old. And some of you are young in age as well. We have an excellent opportunity. We don't even know what the future has in store for us. We don't even know. Because the people that God's bringing, he's going to bring more every single week. We're in the best place to see a miracle. Amen? Amen. And we want you to be a part of that. We want your DNA on the church. We want your thumbprint on it. We want you to get in the game. And so we're inviting you to do that. So we're calling the band forward. We're going to worship. And we're going to worship as a church. We're going to worship together. We're going to sing about everything that Jesus has done. We're going to praise him that he has saved us. We're going to worship him together as a community. And then I'm going to invite you to come and receive communion to remember the broken body of Jesus Christ, the shed blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And as we take communion, the elders will be forward and they would love to pray with you. Possibly Jesus has a miracle for you. So don't white knuckle your seat. Take a step out in faith. And as we stand and we worship, it's a sign of faith that one day we're going to stand up out of our graves and then we're going to walk into the kingdom of God and we're going to be surrounded by all of our brothers and sisters all around the world for the past millennia worshiping celebrating serving Jesus amen and we're going to give you the opportunity to do that today so if you guys would stand with us as we worship Jesus Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us at 10.30 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are always welcome too. We are Redemption and we would love to meet you.